Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you believe in miracles? That was the words of a famous announcer at the National at the World Olympics when the U.S. hockey team defeated the Soviet Union under the coaching of the Golden Gophers head coach, Herb Brooks. When they met in Lake Placid, New York, no one expected that the United States was going to win that hockey match. They were far outclassed. They were a bunch of amateurs going up against a group of professionals. No one expected them to win. And so at the end, the announcer says, do you believe in miracles? Well, do we? Really, we all experience miracles. We just don't always call them miracles. And the fact that you're all alive is a miracle. The gift of life is a miracle. The gift of a baby is a miracle. Life is a miracle, and we should never diminish or downplay that, but life is also clouded by sin, so we don't always see it clearly for what it is supposed to be. And now in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is unpacking a miracle, and it's the most unlikely of odds. No one would have expected this to happen. To conceive a child is a sacred work of God. It should never be taken lightly. In fact, after having four kids, the guys I used to work with at an appliance shop in Eau Claire said, you do know what's causing that, right? Sometimes it comes expectedly. Sometimes it comes unexpectedly. Sometimes it's intended and it doesn't come. Sometimes it's unintended and it happens. But in the end, what we're learning in the Advent season preparing for Christmas, that it's all about God's timing. That Advent is all about God doing unlikely things and working out unlikely outcomes against all odds. It's all about God's timing, and timing is everything. From the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth, to the example of Mary, and then to the whole world, as Caesar Augustus is the ruler of the world, and here comes this baby to change everything. Shepherds, Simeon, Anna, we're going to be unpacking how in each one of these lives, God is doing unexpected things in his timing. Luke is all about the visitation of God, how God visits this world, like in the Exodus, when God visited his people and they were slaves to the most powerful world emperor at the time, Pharaoh. And God completely overturns it. God undoes what Pharaoh has done and God starts something new. It was God's timing for Zacharias and Elizabeth, but it was not their timing. Who were Zacharias and Elizabeth? Outwardly, they weren't what they seemed. Zacharias was a priest, which meant that he was part of God's tribe chosen among the Levites to lead the worship of God's people in the temple. 
Elizabeth was his wife. They were faithful, righteous, blameless before the Lord. And yet, despite all of their faithfulness to walk in the commandments of the Lord, as it says, they couldn't have a child. They were advanced in years, and they yet had yet to have a son or daughter until God's timing was right. There are many allusions to Abraham and Sarah here. When you learn about Zacharias and Elizabeth, it was Abraham who was called righteous because he trusted in the Lord. It was Abraham who was called blameless because among the people of the world, he was giving no offense to upset others by bad behavior. He was walking with the Lord in a relationship with God. And yet, they had no child either. For so long, till Abraham and Sarah were old. Why? God had promised that Abraham would become the father of many nations and families to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, but they had no child. God kept his promise to Abraham, but it was in God's timing. And now God is doing the same for Zacharias and Elizabeth. In a sense, Zacharias and Elizabeth represent all of Israel, all of God's people. When it says that Zacharias was doing the priestly service in our text, verse 8, he was serving as priest before God. The word is the word we use for liturgy. And liturgy means that a person is serving in the place of someone else. It's an old word from the Greeks and Romans that they used to refer to a civic duty where someone would serve in a public office to represent the good of all the people, a senator, a mayor. And so now you have a priest serving on behalf of the people, just like a pastor serves on behalf of the congregation, doing liturgy. And here he is representing what all of God's people are waiting for, God to do something. This sermon and this text is about waiting. It's about patience. It's about understanding God's timing. Zacharias and Elizabeth are just like God's people who are waiting for God to make good on his promise to Abraham. In the circumstances they're looking at, God is not keeping his promise. God is doing other things. God is not there. But now God acts in the unexpected and against all odds. He sends his messenger, the angel Gabriel, to tell them that they're going to have a son and his name will be John. Should we be surprised at this? Do you believe in miracles? They are really about God's plan right here in the temple praying. People praying outside, people praying inside. Should we not expect that God is going to do something? Should we be surprised that God would work a miracle? The incense is rising up to heaven with the prayers, and God makes good on his timing. 
What is surprising is how he does it. The temple is the place of worship, and Luke is making a special point here. He makes it at the beginning of his gospel, and he makes it at the end of his gospel. From the temple at the beginning to the temple at the end, but something in the middle changes. And as we're looking through Luke and the trajectory, we're going to see how it begins in the temple here with the Holy Spirit doing something, but then the Holy Spirit goes out. And the Holy Spirit is with Jesus, and Jesus changes everything for the location of worship and what it means to worship God, because now it will be through Jesus Christ. And the first one to tell the people about this change that's happening is John the Baptist, the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. He says that John's work will be as follows. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. Gabriel is a messenger, and he's touching on four things that John will do. Number one, he will bring rejoicing. His birth is going to be a miracle. Number two, he's going to shock the people into repentance, into a life of humility and suffering in his own example of one who doesn't take wine or strong drink, who's out in the wilderness, who's taken a vow like the Nazarite. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit is going to be moving, working, doing new things to move the hearts of God's people, to prepare them not just outwardly by coming to the temple, but inwardly by being baptized in the Jordan River. And lastly, Israel now will have different reactions, a clash of world spiritual powers, from the disobedient to the wisdom of the just from the fathers to the children. That God will turn their hearts. Some will listen and some will not. Being barren is not a pleasant thing for a husband and wife. It teaches us to wait, to have patience, to have an understanding heart, to long for those children and realize what a gift it is the power of Elijah is going forth here. And the last of the prophets of the Old Testament was Malachi, who indicated Elijah would come. And now John the Baptist is going to be Elijah to awaken the people. But Zacharias is not ready. He does not easily accept this. Instead, he asks a question, how shall I know this? Really, this means, can you give me a sign? Can you give me some more indication that this will come true? It's just like Abraham, who also doubted. 
and his wife who doubted. All of God's people doubt. We all doubt whether God is really going to do what he said he is going to do. We are impatient, we are ungrateful, and we don't trust. We forget. We want more of a sign than what he's already given us in his word. And so what does this messenger say? I am Gabriel. In case you forgot. And I stand in the presence of the Lord. When God speaks through his messenger, don't take it for granted. As a result, Zacharias is mute. It is not a willing vow of silence. It is forced upon him. A time of waiting. Just like all of God's people need to be silent sometimes, to wait, to be patient, to realize that this is a long-term project that God is working on. And when the time is right, God will act. When he's done with what he's been working on, and he's ready to do something different, it will happen. And it did. After nine months, the child came. The people weren't quite ready for John. And you see this later on when, in chapter 1 when it says that they were expecting for them to name him after Zacharias. They were expecting to name the child after the lineage and the priesthood and the family. But he chooses a name outside of all that, something unexpected. Zacharias writes on a tablet, his name shall be John, which means the Lord is gracious. And it's this act of faith by Zacharias that looses his tongue, he speaks, and he blesses the Lord. And the people are scared. Luke is alluding to what is coming, God's unexpected ways. At first, the people are excited, they rejoice that there's a miracle done here, and God's granted Elizabeth a child. They rejoice, but they don't understand it. And so then they're shocked. It says they wonder at this, why they would name him John. This is not what they expected. And then they're afraid when God looses Zacharias' tongue because the coming of John the Baptist is going to lead the people through this. First, they're excited about something new that God's doing. Then they're shocked because it's not really what they had pictured God to do. And then they're a little bit scared because God is shaking up their lives. He's doing it his way until finally the heart is what matters most. And all who heard them laid it up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Finally, the heart is moved, which is the final movement of God's people to have the heart finally cry out and ask that question, what are you doing, God? We need to ask him that question. 
Zacharias explains what God is doing. He answers their question with a prayer. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And in his prophecy here, verses 68 to the end of the chapter, it is drawing on all of what the Old Testament was saying. It's repeating words, phrases that for a Jewish believer who had been raised in the Old Testament would evoke the whole history of their people and what they've been waiting for. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Just like at the Exodus, God visited and rescued his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, just like God did for King David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God's work of salvation is to save us. Not just to get us from here to up there, but already to deliver us from our enemies, from those who hate God's faithful people. To show the mercy promised, the holy covenant, the oath that God swore to Abraham. The oath that God would deliver them from their enemies. And this child would go before the Lord to give the knowledge of salvation to all the people in the forgiveness of sins, to give light to those who sit in darkness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is something worth rejoicing at. But we should also remember to be shocked. Even John the Baptist was shocked when Jesus came and said, I need you to baptize me. So while God's going to deliver us from our enemies, while he's going to make good on his promises, while he is going to bless us, it's not going to be in these outward shows of strength and glory. It's going to be the inward work of God, the humility of Jesus, the suffering of Jesus, the death of Jesus for us, and the resurrection which delivers that spirit to make a new temple for God, that God's going to dwell among all the nations of the world, including here today, and do things in our hearts. And that is the way of peace. Do you believe in miracles? Amen.